This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning. Sirius XM Business Radio Studios from Huntsman Hall. Cade Massey hosting this morning with Shane Jensen, my collaborator here. Audie Weiner off teaching. Eric Bradlow out and about. Those guys will be back. Some combination of us are here every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have a guest co-host today. Delighted to have Ty Hildebrandt in the studio. Ty down from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Ty, the co-host of the long-running, very popular college football podcast, the solid verbal. Oh, Ty, I'm wearing my T-shirt from a couple years ago. I, you know, I'm I saw sporting. it peeking out there. I was wondering. Look at that. Okay, you got to get you a new one now. I could use a new one. All right, this we'll work is one on of that. my favorites, though. You guys can join the conversation one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. Or you can email us businessradio at sirusxm. Or reach us on Twitter at wmoneyball. Send us questions, observations, over-unders, whatever you want to do up there. Just off the phone with Bill Connolly, longtime fantastic college football analyst and a regular guest on the show. Rolling into this half hour, we are delighted to welcome Mac Brown to the show. Mac, of course, former national championship winning coach at the University of Texas, longtime coach there, before that North Carolina, Tulane, Appalachian State. He's been with ESPN since 2014 as a studio analyst. Does uh, uh, he's in with their big mega cast on Monday with the film, the coaches film room. And we are delighted to talk about college football in the 2018 season with Mac Brown. Mac, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. How are you doing real fine, sir? Doing real fine. Couldn't be happier to have you. Where are you calling in from this morning? I'm in Austin, Texas. In fact, I'm a little jealous. You're in a T-shirt, and I've got my big coat and tie on. I'm headed down to the Alamo Bowl luncheon, preseason oh. luncheon today. So it'll be fun in San Antonio, but I wish they'd let me go on a T-shirt. <laughs> you it's get, a lot more fun. Yeah, you get, they make you guys dress up some. It's, it's it's not the best part of the job. But I'm a, but I'm a little jealous you're in Austin. Mac, i got to tell you, I'm a long-time Longhorn. I'm, I graduated in 89. I didn't have anything to do with having you on the show, but I couldn't have been happier when the producer said, you were coming on the show. I've been going to Texas football games since Roosevelt Leaks was running the ball. I was there in the stadium when Ricky broke the record against A&M in your first year, I believe. And yes. I was also there in the Cotton Bowl when Roy Williams jumped over the line and caused the fumble that lost the game against Oklahoma. So I've been through some highs. I've been through some lows. And, and, and the highest, of course, was your championship in 2005. So we will be forever grateful for what you did for that program. The long 15-year run and bringing us back to grace, but also the championship in 05. So quick thanks to you on that. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It's a great year. and It's funny. I asked Coach Rowe one time. He won three national championships. And he said, yeah, I lost two. I think we won one and lost three. So we, we had opportunities in 01 and then lost to Colorado in the championship game. We had an opportunity in 08 uh, and, and lost to Tech with one second left out in Lubbock. Then we had an opportunity with Alabama when Colt got hurt in, in mm. 09. So uh, I think sometimes it's really weird, but you remember more about the ones that you, you missed and lost than, than the ones that you won. I can believe it. I, so I had Someone reminded me about that 08 season, and watching that team that year, it felt 
I mean, it really felt like the 08 team was better than the 09 team. I wonder what the analytics would say about that. But my gosh, that was a good team. And then to lose it in the way he did in Lubbock after that four-week run you had to go through. I can barely still look at Michael Crabtree. I can just barely do it. <laughs> well, I don't look at him. I, <laughs> I, I told Michael I don't even want to say hello to him. So I, I, he, he, but it wasn't his fault. It was our fault. Yeah. We had opportunities throughout that game to win and, and didn't and just give Tech credit for that one. Well, Coach, how do you – you're living in Austin. How do you follow Texas now? How are you going to be paying attention to the Maryland game, if at all, this weekend? And what do you expect out of the Longhorns this weekend? When I quit coaching, the University of Texas made me a special assistant to, to the president. So I'm an assistant to President Finvis and, and actually work with Chris Delconi, the athletics director, mostly in the spring to raise money and speak and, and travel around and, and, and talk about the Longhorns and, and – Kind of troubleshoot, and then in the fall they gave me the opportunity to work with ESPN and ABC, and I promised ESPN and, and ABC that uh, I would be an analyst. I would not be a fan. Uh, so when I'm watching Texas football, I went to practice yesterday and I saw Tom, and obviously I, I probably know more about them than than most other teams that we cover. Uh, but but I'm not one of those guys that's going to cheer for Texas every weekend. I, I can't do it. It's just uh, it wouldn't be fair to the fans. And uh, as I told Charlie Strong and as I told Tom, do well because uh, I still work here and I've got to tell the truth. So if you're not doing well, I've got to say right. the Longhorns aren't playing well, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Charlie understood that and Tom understands it. And, and uh, good for ESPN, but I, I don't think it's fair to fans at Oklahoma and A&M and across the country if – if I'm sitting there being a Texas fan on Saturday, I'm supposed to be telling the fans what I see, what I think, and what I feel like is going to happen. Well, sir, you, you, with all your coaching experience, you would have a special insight into what teams are like when they have these challenges that some of the teams we see around the country have with their coaches right now. So Texas gets one of those teams right out of the box. They're playing Maryland where there's a cloud on some of the investigations around Durkin. And we, you know, we can look at the Big Ten with a number of situations. What can you say about what, how teams perform and how they, how they stay together in these circumstances? What should we expect from these teams that are operating under this kind of cloud going into the season? You know, the, the, there's two different situations that, that have similar circumstances, really, in Ohio State and Maryland, who will be without their head coaches, it looks like, on, on opening day. And if you look at Ohio State, you've got two previous head coaches uh, on the staff. Um, you've got uh, a young guy who's an offensive coordinator that Urban really trusts and, and likes. Um, but uh, Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson been around a long time, and they've been around Urban uh, quite a while. So I, I think that one will continue to just flow, and Urban – uh, starting early September, will be around the program. Even though he may not be on the sideline on Saturday, he'll still be able to recruit. So I don't see Ohio State falling off. At Maryland, you've got a younger coach that hasn't been there long. You've got a an interim coach who just got there in, in uh, January, um, doesn't even know the players that well, and, and uh, you're not sure about a young staff who's really worried about their future. Ohio State knows their future now. Maryland's is still uncertain. They have a committee that's looking into the culture of Maryland football. Uh, so that's the dangerous one because you really don't know who's going to show up for Maryland on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, will the kids be able to pull it together? Will the coaches be able to pull it together? Um, and it'll be really, really interesting to, to see. But that's uh, uh, that, that's one of those uh, – 
um, situations that just as a coach you're really not sure what team's going to show up. And what you want to do if you're Texas is jump on them early mm. because they've had so many distractions and, and, and so much difficulty, even losing a player, that if you could get them down and, and, and put some uh, confusion – uh, concern into the staff and the players, you you might get them on a roll early. Right, right. All right. Well, one of the issues, speaking of coaching around the country, is how many big time programs have first year coaches. I'm thinking about Moorhead at Mississippi State, Kelly out at UCLA, Taggart, Florida State, Jimbo, of course, at AM, just across the way from you, Mullen at Florida. We can keep on going. Can you talk about being a first year coach? Is there is there one of these programs that you think is really going to take a, a jump under the coach? Is there someone you would bet on as doing best among this crop of first years? Well, first, you the, the, the best time in any coach's life is from the time he takes a new job until the time <laughs> he plays because he is so smart. <laughs> right. And, and we in the media say, this guy's got it. Oh, my gosh, he's doing everything right. The last guy was an idiot. Right. Uh, because he's fired and gone. Or he left and we're mad at him for leaving. So, it, it is. Uh, it's kind of funny. Sally and I laugh about it because it is. Uh, um, it, it's just routine. I mean, it's like fifty first dates with. Oh, this guy's got it, man. I, I like him so much better than the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens usually when you take over a program? There's a reason you're there. Either the the other coach got run off, or he left and left it in pretty good shape. But you're never sure how the kids are going to respond to you. And, and when you come in, it's really interesting. It's, it's usually a, a great first year if everything starts out right and, and everybody gets on the same page and we love the new. Or if, if we still like the old coach and this new guy comes in and he runs kids off and he talks about new culture and mm-hmm. they weren't very tough here and they mm-hmm. didn't coach very well here, you could very well have a really bad season because you have to re-recruit the players that are on that team. Right. Um, I, I see a team, I, I think Florida's got like 19 starters back, so they've got to find a quarterback. I see Mississippi State, who Dan Mullen left a really good team for Joe Moorhead. So um, the expectations are, are really high at, at Mississippi State. They should be a good team. How will the transition from a coach from Penn State coming in without ties to – the SEC or Mississippi State, mm-hmm. how will that go? It'll be a real interesting uh, ride with uh, Dan Mullen. His claim to fame has been quarterbacks and, and taking quarterbacks and developing them. Uh, does he have a quarterback on campus? Because it's been a struggle offensively even since Will Muschamp was there uh, through two coaches now to have a, a consistent offense that can score in the SEC East. Uh, but he's got a lot of great players on that team, and, and can he pull it together? So, I would think one of those two teams is a team with a new coach that might jump up and bite somebody. Hey, Coach, this is Ty Hildenbrandt. Question for you about a topic I know that is near and dear to your heart, the Big 12. Uh, We've talked a little bit about Texas this morning. We haven't talked a whole lot about Oklahoma. Obviously, they're entering now a new chapter, given that their all-world quarterback, Baker Mayfield, has transitioned off to the NFL. How do you handicap Oklahoma? How do you handicap the Big 12 as a whole as you look at it now in 2018? But, Ty, when you, you start talking about Oklahoma, number one, I've been a Lincoln Riley fan for a long time when he was at Tech in East Carolina and long before he got to Oklahoma. And he was a guy I had on my list that at some point I would have tried to hire as an offensive coordinator. So I'm not surprised when Bob in Oklahoma um, stepped away from um, his great tenure there that they, they gave it to Lincoln. And and I think he's a young superstar and will do a tremendous job at Oklahoma. Uh 
his task this year, he, he's named Kyler Murray as the quarterback. Kyler's really never started. He's really never been the guy. And he was a great player in, in high school in the, in the Dallas area. But the, the biggest question mark is, since he and Baker are different, um, the offensive staff in Lincoln at Oklahoma, I think, probably have the best players in the league overall. They've got to adapt the offense to what Kyler does better. And if they do that, I think we see Oklahoma repeat as the conference champion and, and have a chance to go into the playoff again. Of course, Texas is under a second-year coach. We talked about all the first-year coaches. Can you talk about the difference that second year? Riley has a bit of an advantage because he stayed with the same system. You know, Stoops promoted from within. Herman comes in from a different system. It feels like many teams take a jump in that second year. They've got, this, they've got a rep on the, on, the, on the playbook. They've got a rep on the culture. Can you talk about this coaching as a second-year coach instead of the first-year coach? Yes, the, the, the difficult thing for um, Lincoln Riley is that he took over a staff that wasn't his. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult, too. It was a Bob Stoop staff, so those guys were not hired by Lincoln. And one of them's and Bob's Lincoln, brother, right? Yes, he's got his brother. He's, but he brought in Shane Beamer. He brought in Ruffin McNeil. He's, he's rough. He brought in Benny Wiley as his strength coach. So he, he's making some changes that make it more his staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that should get better and better as he gets to build his own staff, because sometimes it is difficult when you're following a legend like Bob Stoops. He's won so many games. The expectations are so high. And some of the staff says, if this young guy, gosh, I'm older than he is. Mm-hmm. I've been around a lot longer than he is. Why wouldn't I be the head coach? So uh, Lincoln did a great job of managing that and getting deep into the playoff last year. Uh, when you're in your second year, like Tom Herman, what you're doing is you take the first year to figure out all your problems. Usually your first year is not a great recruiting year because you didn't have relationships with the kids in this area, even though Tom came from Houston. So that helped him because he was able to bring some of the kids that were committed to Houston over with him. Uh, but but people are firing coaches a lot quicker. Now, it used to be you had three years to figure out your problems and another two to fix them because you were on five-year plans or three-year plans. And, and now with modern-day football and what coaches are, are getting paid, Coaches across the country are having to win immediately. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think uh, in watching practice yesterday, Tom has a much better team right now than he had this time last year. And and uh, it, they've got to run the ball better because uh, the offensive line was inconsistent. They've got to find a featured running back. They haven't really had that. They've got two quarterbacks that they're they're playing with, Sam Ellinger and, and um, Shane, Shane Buchel, but they've, they've named Sam for the, as the starter. Uh, and they got to get some depth at linebacker. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing is that they start out this year being a Tom Herman team when Maryland upset them last year in the opener. Uh, they were a team that, that even Tom didn't know who they were or hadn't put his, his mark on it. Uh, kids hadn't really bought in yet, and that was obvious in that opening ballgame. Mm-hmm. You know, they started a true freshman for much of the year as well, and this seems like something we're seeing more of these days. USC just announced a starting uh, a starting quarterback that'll be a true freshman. We'll see him in Austin in a few weeks. But you had a little bit of experience with, with young quarterbacks, and coaches are having to grapple with this more now than ever. What's your experience in dealing with, you know, you, you didn't, when did you know what you had in Vince Young? Because you didn't start him that much early on. When did you know what you had in Colt McCoy, who did have to start as, a I think, a redshirt freshman? This is something yes. coaches are grappling with. Curious your thoughts on it. Yes, the, the graduate transfer rule and transfer rules in general, <clears throat> excuse me, 
have really changed the quarterback situations across the country. Because if you'll look, Baker Mayfield was a graduate transfer. Shea Patterson's going to start for Michigan on Saturday. He's a transfer. So as we're looking at quarterback situations, a lot of people are getting transfers now much more than uh, ever before. And it's really interesting to, to watch it and watch the dynamic and, and see where things are. Um, when you start looking at uh, uh, a high school senior that graduated early at South Carolina and his dad's a running back coach and now he's put South Carolina in the conversation of being a team that could be one of the better teams in the SEC East. You look at Shea Patterson and, and his move. You look at Kyler Murray and his move. You look at a, a high school senior basically in uh, JT Daniels at USC. Can he come into Austin at such a very young age? Can He's got Stanford the week before he comes to Austin. So I think what you're seeing is in, in, in situations like Alabama, situations like Texas, where you've got two quarterbacks that are about the same age, you're also seeing usually one that stays and the other one takes off, and then what do you have? Mm-hmm. When we had Vince Young, we redshirted him because Vince was not a prolific passer in high school. But he was such a great athlete. And we knew what we had. We just had to uh, get him a little bit more focused on, on the throwing game. Mm-hmm. When we had Colt McCoy, we thought Vince might stay, but he had such great Rose Bowls back-to-back. There's no way he could stay. Mm-hmm. There was too much money at stake. And, and then it forced a, a redshirt freshman, Colt McCoy, to step in and, and play against a great Ohio State team who we just beat and made mad the year before <laughs> uh, in Austin. So that wasn't the, the perfect situation. But I think when you see that even as a redshirt freshman and a freshman, that the, the Colt McCoy and, and the Vince Young still weren't ready at that time, it concerns you when you're playing a, a guy who should be a high school senior that graduated early right. or even a guy that mm-hmm. – uh, uh, like JT did not come in early. He came in in the summer uh, because if they're there in the spring, at least now they can progress a little bit from uh, an early admit through summer practice and, until the fall. But um, it's going to be interesting, even with uh, Shea Patterson, who has been a, a spread quarterback, and now he's going to run a pro-style offense. How mm-hmm. much will Jim Harbaugh change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will he have more spread in his offense now, unlike just being the uh, the downhill running pro-style quarterback? So it'll be a real fun weekend to see how some of these quarterbacks react. Mm-hmm. Wharton Moneyball, we are talking with former national championship coach Mac Brown. Mac, of course, now is with ESPN. He'll be part of the ABC studio team with John Vilma. These guys are kicking off their season. They've got a triple header this Saturday. They've got Alabama Louisville on Saturday Night Football earlier in the day, or actually what do we got? We got another ABC has the top 25. They have one of the best games of the weekend, Miami LSU, Sunday evening. And then, of course, Mac's going to be in the coach's film room on Monday night for that Virginia Tech-Florida State game. And that's a that's a campus game. That's in Tallahassee. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mac, I, I want to ask you one question, talking about these national championships. That is it true that in the locker room after the game, you told the guys, don't let this be your greatest moment? And if so, can you elaborate that? I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the challenge you must face as a coach, especially as a college coach, to try to get the, the maximum effort and commitment out of these guys, but then also somehow impart perspective. Because it feels like motivation is kind of declining perspective. It's like, no, everything is this, what happens right now. And then you have to step back and say, okay, hold on. 
there's this bigger picture. Did you really say that in the locker room? And can you tell us more about it? Well, I did. And, and number one, with 642 left in the game, USC had just scored and gone up by 12. So I, I wasn't planning a pregame uh, speech about how we came back and won the game at that point. <laughs> right. We were in bad trouble. And then you win the game, and, and you you have to find Pete Carroll, who was very gracious and said, I hate to lose championship games to anybody, but if you're going to lose, lose to a true champion. Your team is a true champion today, which was really classy of him. And then you go sing your, your fight song, and then you're in the middle of the field, and, and you're with John Saunders, who we lost a couple of years ago, and a dear friend of mine. And he hands you the crystal ball, which is what one of the things that all of us dream to have. And you've got all your players there, and you've got – Millions of people watching. Number one, what do you say? And then you get into the dressing room. I try to get Coach Royal, the best coach in Texas history, obviously, and maybe football history, college football history, to come up. He said, no, Coach, that's your, it's your time. Uh, so you're up on the podium, and then you go down, and you're walking into your dressing room, and you see Mrs. Royal in her 70s up on the equipment truck with adhesive tape on the ladder, putting a four over the three national championships. <laughs> get a big laugh out of that and say, Miss Edith, be careful. We don't need to lose you tonight uh, standing up there. So there's so much excitement. Then you walk in the dressing room and I get a knock on the door and Matt Leonard and, and uh, Reggie Bush had come over to say, coach, we missed you on the field. We just wanted to come over and say, you guys have a great team. Congratulations. Wow. Um, and, and you're, national champ so i told the players that and then i I told them thank you Uh, we had a prayer i told them thank you about the letting us do all this letting us have fun it's really hard to get to a national championship game it's even harder to win it and when you do you need to appreciate it because it's uh, like president bush called me and said you never know if you're the best president you never know if you're the best father uh you never know if you're the best husband but it is marked that you have the best college football team Mm -hmm. uh in the country this year. So these guys were the best team, period. And they had proved it time and time again. And then you've got Matthew McConaughey standing there and Rex Lynn from CSI Miami. And um, you, you've got uh, Roger Clements and Lance Armstrong. And, and the room is full of celebrities. And, and my mother's there. It's her birthday. And she just said, oh, hey, gosh. what about next year? Uh, this is a pretty good present for this year, boy, but you gotta you got to do it again. I said, Mom, give me a few minutes here to <laughs> talk to the team before you start asking for another one next year. And in looking at those guys, the first thing I thought is they're so excited, uh, and it also they're exhausted. So let, let's take a minute here and say take care of yourself tonight. This will be the most visible you'll be for a long time in your life. So don't go out and mess up and get in trouble. Let's, let's be smart. Let's enjoy this moment and don't ruin it. And then it just hit me that this can't be the best. And, and you, you have teachable moments as a coach. There's none better when I had their full attention when they were asking me to put this in perspective. And I'd even ask Coach Royal coming off the field, Coach, what does this mean for a coach to win a national championship? He said, oh, Coach, you just check it off. It's one that very few people get to check off and it's really cool, but after you check it off, you got to go try to do it again. <laughs> so it just made sense to me that uh, this is really cool. Thank you. Congratulations. Good luck to you guys. They're going to the NFL or trying to get jobs next year. Hey, you guys coming back? We've got to try to do it again and repeat. But, but what really hit me is uh, let's don't shut it down and be that 40-year-old in your letter jacket talking about this game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you can do for society. Let's talk about what you can do as a husband and 
let's talk about what you can do as a father and, and a leader in your community. Use this to, to jumpstart your, your career into something else. They all looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and then 10 years ago, I mean, 10 years later, when we came back a couple of years ago for the Notre Dame game, it was funny that they all said with their children and their wives, you know what, Coach? We finally get it. Mm. We finally understand what you were saying 10 years ago because we thought you were nuts. Right. Loosen up, man. <laughs> Have a little fun. This is, this is time to, to, to party and uh, appreciate. But uh, I think that's what coaches have to do. When you get teachable moments, it's our responsibility to make sure that we help the guys on our team understand better about life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate that. Speaking of perspective, I'm sure you continue to learn about the game, even though you're not on the sideline. You're, in fact, you're still watching film. You're talking to coaches. You're talking to other analysts. You're talking about it all the time. If you could go back and advise from this wiser, mature perspective, if you could go back and advise the Mac Brown coach of 20 years ago, what advice would you have for him? I think the first advice I would give myself, and I, I try to give the young coaches that it's hard to do, is enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moment, because it's uh, it's fleeting. Uh, but you're working so hard, and as soon as you get one commitment, you're 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 going to another. And just like with the the national championship game, two years after we win the game, Vince Young's leaving. So we're dealing with trying to help him get to the NFL. And at the same time, we're dealing with Colt McCoy. And who's behind Colt McCoy? So things are constantly happening in your life. But uh, I would think that recruit players that have earned the right to be at your school. Recruit guys that compete their, their rear end off all the time. Because even Pat Dye told me one time that if you recruit potential, that means he ain't done it yet. And if he ain't <laughs> done it, he doesn't deserve to be at your school. So make sure you recruit guys who have done it. And then enjoy the ride. And and the last thing would be make sure you always do what you know is the right thing to do. I, I felt like that uh, I asked our coaches to make sure they treated the players like they wanted their sons or daughters to be treated. And if they always did what they know was the right thing to do, and if they had to ask me, it wasn't. <laughs> right. Because they knew it wasn't, or right. they didn't have to ask. And the second thing is, if I saw a player cussing a, a, or a coach cussing a player, I'd walk over and simply say, would you want somebody to do that to your son? And mm-hmm. it, it was an easy answer. So uh, those are the things I think I'd go back and tell me if I started over. Got it. Coach, before we let you go, we want to hear your take on the season, especially, of course, we're already talking about the playoffs. You probably have been asked this question enough to know, to have it kind of down pat, but we're curious. Who's in your playoff for? Who's in your bracket at this point of the season? I've definitely got uh, Alabama and Clemson like everybody else. Uh, I think Georgia still gets back, but I don't think they're as good overall, but they've got a much easier schedule. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got one of the easier schedules in the country to give them an opportunity to get back. And then I think you have to look at uh, Ohio State and see if, if uh, all the distractions that have come out of the, uh, the coaching suspension there with, with Urban sets them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is Penn State good enough or a Michigan State good enough to step up in, in that area? But uh, those are the, the teams that I would see that will be playing for it in the end. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your perspective on Washington and Chris Peterson. Always had, had kind of an association between you guys. I'm not sure if that's a formal one, but people often thought about he might be a long-term 
a long-term guy for Texas. I think because he kind of is cut in some of the same ways from the Mac Brown mold. But what's it going to take for him way over there in the Northwest to step into this national conversation more seriously? He's got a great team, but people are often leaving them out of this playoff four. Yes, I'm a huge Chris Peterson fan, and and I love everything he does in his program. I'd I'd send my son to go play for Chris Peterson. I've always felt that way and actually hired Brian Harson Mm -hmm. from Chris as offensive coordinator simply because I, I admired the way Chris ran his program and his offense and his power running game and the ability to still take deep shots and the tricks that he had mm-hmm. that, that were part of his offense. Um, I had uh, dinner with Chris at Pac-12 Media Day this year, uh, about a month ago, and sat and talked to him. He lost 10 uh, great players and starters during the season to injury last year, and, and all should be back, which should really help him. He's got mm-hmm. the experienced quarterback. Um, big game this weekend uh, in yeah. Atlanta with, with Auburn. And, and obviously it'll be a home game for Auburn because they're an hour and a half from Atlanta. And those fans will be packed in there, and it'll, it'll be um, really, really loud for them. Washington went to play Alabama in, the, in this same city, same type setting two years ago in the, the playoff, and, and it was all Alabama fans. So they'll be ready for that. Yep. But I think this is a huge game for them because um, – a lot of people have talked about the Pac-12 uh, because they play their games so much later. A lot of us on the East Coast don't stay up and watch them. You might see a quarter. You might see a half. Uh, but there are some early games like SC and Texas. Uh, there are some early games in the, the Pac-12 that uh, they need to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris is fully aware if, if he wants to be in the, the mix at the end, um, Beating Auburn, which I think a lot of people would think is an upset, is a huge game for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last question, because Ty's sitting here. I'm trying to talk Ty into his favorite team, next favorite team, Notre Dame being a serious contender for the playoff. What about Notre Dame, Coach? I think we'll know Saturday afternoon. That quick? I think, I think when Michigan comes in, I think Michigan, this will be the best Michigan team that Jim Harbaugh has if Shea Patterson works out, because he hasn't really had the the quarterback that can move around and throw. And Jim's a tremendous coach. We all know that. I I, I chuckle sometimes when people are saying, well, he just hadn't delivered. Well, uh, there's so much hype. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like a first-round draft choice going to uh, a bad team in the first year, and everybody expects them to win every game. Um, It usually doesn't happen. But now this is Jim's team. And the, the question will be the quarterback. Now, Wimbush uh, did a great job last year for Notre Dame. I'm, I'm also a, a Brian Kelly fan. He, he does it right. He does a tremendous job. It'll be at Notre Dame. And people asked the other day, they asked me, does, is this a season changer if you win one of these opening games when you're Miami and LSU and, and when you're Virginia Tech and Florida State, which is even a conference game? It is because the team that wins has to get their feet back on the ground and and kind of start over and be hard on their team again because they'll feel too good about themselves. And the team that loses, their fan base is going to say, we're out. Mm-hmm. This season's over. It, it's just changed so much that you can overcome an early loss. But uh, I, I think Notre Dame, they lost Elko to, to Texas A&M on defense. Got a new defensive coordinator. I really like their offensive coordinator. And uh, that's maybe the game that I'm more looking forward to this weekend than any of that one. West Virginia, Tennessee, 
with a Heisman Trophy candidate at West Virginia and a new coach at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot of things this weekend that'll be fun to watch. It, it will be fun, and very much looking forward to it. Coach, listen, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, and we all can't wait till the weekend. Should be a great start to college football. Absolutely. Coach Mac Brown, national championship winning coach from the University of Texas, 15 years there, been with ESPN since then. He's going to be all over ESPN and ABC this weekend. ESPN has the Alabama-Louisville game. ABC has the Miami-LSU game, and then they're back with Vatek and Florida State on Monday night where Mac will be in the coach's film room. That was Mac Brown. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.